to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Starr. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with an er at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. I was hoping to do a new guest this week, but I had a sick bunny and that stressed me out and I was trying to deal with that. And so I ended up not being able to schedule a guest. So what I am doing is playing a very old episode. A long time ago, I was doing another podcast called Nerding Out and it was with my buddy Danny. We talked about video games, uh, board games, comic books, just anything. Hi, Zoe. Thanks for saying hello. And we had a lot of fun doing it, just kind of the two of us hanging out. We'd occasionally have like his brother come on, who's a game designer. And then I thought, you know, I saw Rob Davio posting about, hey, season zero is coming out. So podcasts, I'm down to come and chat about it. And so I reached out and talked to him and set up an interview and this is that interview and this interview inspired me to do the board game community show because he had talked about like oh it's really nice i don't have like go-to answers for some of these questions and i was like oh that's great yeah oh what if more interviews were that way where it was just kind of like a very casual thing where you never know exactly what's gonna come up and so this is it. Here is that oldie but goodie. You can hear kind of the origins of the board game community show. So Danny had ended up having a baby and he had he didn't have enough time. And so that's what pushed me to finally just do the board game community show all on my lonesome. Um, one last thing before I send it off there. I might be changing the way I do these. I might do like an every other week guest. And then I might do like little reviews with my wife. It was fun to talk about our summer gaming, but we might actually focus on one game and review it together. If you think, oh, that's a bad idea, just keep with interviewing, let me know. Hit me up on the socials. And I, yeah, that's all right. I would, I'm fine with just sticking to interviews, but I may, if I'm, if I do it that way, I may switch to every other week. Anyways, there we go. Now, Onto the show. Nerding Out. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to Nerding Out. I'm your host, Riley Stock, with co-host... Danny Dowdle. And today, we've got a very special guest, Rob Davio. Hello. God, I'm getting such a feeling of deja vu right now. <laughs> oh, I know. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm totally <laughs> calling you out. We did like 12, 15 minutes of this podcast and then realized that no one, no one's recording it. So here we go again. Oh, it's the first time that's ever happened. Well, luckily it was 12, 15 minutes in and not at the end of the hour. Cause that I would know. have been like, well, this has been a podcast for the two of you. Yep. <laughs> Which would have been a great experience for Danny and I, but I would have been kicking myself for the rest of my life. I would have just quit podcasting. I'd be like, I'm done. 
We would then you would have created an alternate reality. Oh yeah, there we go. Do you want to talk about what you do with Restoration Games? Sure. I uh, with Restoration Games, which is a which is a publisher that I um, basically co-own, and I'm more of the creative director on it. We're a company that takes old board games that are out of print and we we reboot them. So, but we don't just reprint them. There are a number of companies that do that that might put some new graphics or tweak a rule here. Like we really sort of restore them sometimes changing them quite significantly from what they were in addition to changing the graphics now sometimes it's a game that's like this is just pretty good we don't have to do much but we really go back and we look at what made it great at its time and what would make it great now because it might be 20 30 even 50 years later and then we we put it out so we've done you know fireball island we have the upcoming return to dark tower um, Downforce, which is a racing game by Wolfgang Grammer, has been great in our line. Stop Thief was our first game. And so I'm involved with largely the creation of the games, but with a person with the most industry experience for the most part. Also, you know, everything that rolls into production and marketing and stuff, I, I have an opinion on, though I don't run it. Do, who chooses the games? Uh, Justin and I, who run it, tend to do most of the legwork on it. Anyone can. And the company can put one forward. And we do have, if you go to restorationgames.com, a little promotion there, uh, you can basically request a game. And we do look at that when we're like, hey, let's start thinking about our line. And we are starting to think about 2022. We're probably behind on thinking about it. We will go to that list and be like, what's been named? What hasn't been named? Like what's, you know, oh, we could get this one. We couldn't get this one. This fits our line. This isn't, you know, a good fit. And we use that as sort of our, our talking point rather than us just saying, uh, I remember a game. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we do, we do look at that list and, and, you know, there's some real top tier ones. There's like five or eight where there's a lot of people who want it. And then there's a good 40 or 50 games that drop down significantly, but still have dozens and dozens of people who have asked for it, which when you're talking about a pool, our size is quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of old, old games. Sometimes I like just watching the old trailers for some of those games. Mm -hmm. And they are great. I can't remember there was one with like a wizard and a space wizard. Anyway, (laughs) that's every ever. There was at least one. There was at (laughs) least one. Yeah. (laughs) But they were just so ridiculous and I love it. And it's like, you know what? I would play that game because of this commercial. Why don't we do commercials like that? I don't see commercials for board games ever on TV now. It's not worth the not enough people watching tv just put them on youtube it's true that is fair that is very true yeah i remember as a kid seeing hero quest uh mm-hmm. oh ah, don't bring up hero quest <laughs> oh, is that one that you <laughs> wanted it was our it was our most requested game and and hasbro went in and, and got the trademark from the people we had been talking to and just did a launched it on their own internal kickstarter what like a two bunch weeks of ago d bags uh, i mean they they have the ability to go in and sort of do that and they just hadn't until now and then i don't know if they saw what we were doing just weird timing or something like that they just were like oh hey we're gonna do that and um we didn't officially have it in our line like it would have been years from now but it was sort of that that grail that we were hoping to get and uh and it all just sort of uh they kind of came in they went very quickly to getting the trademark to to launching something so it must have been in the works for a while but it all happened in the past like two months for us oh wow i remember seeing that and i immediately actually thought of restoration games because you guys what hasbro is doing with it is they're pretty much just 
dressing it up. They're modernizing the look of it. But as far as I've seen and read, they didn't do a lot to improve the mechanics or the, you know, punch up the gameplay. I think they're just doing yeah, a quick light refresh. But I, to be fair, I haven't really dug into it much. It's like when, you, you know, like, oh, no, someone broke up with me and they're dating that rich guy over there. <laughs> I wonder how she's doing. It's like, I don't I don't I don't need to do that. Yeah, that this, makes sense. It actually makes yeah. sense with one of the, the games that I wanted to back of yours, which was Cthulhu Death May Die. Mm-hmm. The only way that I could rip that Band-Aid off where I didn't have the money for it at the time, I just pretend it didn't exist because it looked so amazing. <laughs> so, oh, well, this is a sad story. Do you have a copy now? I don't. But the I, game- well, if it's any consolation, neither do I. You don't? <laughs> really? No. As a designer, you're obligated to, you know, like it's in your contract that you're going to get copies. Yeah. And, and I owed copies and they have apologized a couple of times. So I'm just glad you said it. This reminds me. Wow. I'm in my contract. I'm supposed to get two copies of every SKU in every language. Oh, wow. Which I keep saying, I don't need just English. And they're like, okay, just English. And it's still cartons where they're like, oh, we're just going to send it over on a ship. Do you need it now rather than air? you know, send it over by air because it comes from, you know, China. Yeah. Yeah. And then the f- warehouse in the Far East, I'm like, yeah, I don't need you to spend like $2,000 in air shipping to get me these <laughs> copies. And they're like, cool. <laughs> and then I think it just keeps slipping their mind. Oh, man. Oh, man. That makes me sad because I usually like Simon quite a bit, but that's no, cool. no, and, and, and I'll, you know, realistically here, I'm going to set, I'm going to open up the email as we're talking, or I'm going to put on my to-do list to, to ask about it. I, it's, I, I think if I just give them a little poke, they'll be mortified and send it to me. Um, I haven't, <laughs> I, I haven't been up uh, crying oh, in the night. Like, why won't they send me? I uh, just I want my I, game. Well, I have a small house is another thing. And um, my wife works with me at Restoration. And we are constantly getting samples from the factory. She does production. She's the one who turns over the final files and does art. So they're like, is this good? Is this color good? Is this miniature good? Is this factory good? And it's not a big house. And so we are just like in our own little minotaurs maze of prototypes and early copies lying around. So when people are like, hey, you know, the game got in stock. Do you want 10 copies? We're like, no, no. Like I can order from the warehouse if I need it. Please don't. Like you worked hard on them. Like just send me one. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. That's that's actually, it's very sad, but it's very funny at the same time. It's like, man, they don't even get to their developer, like the people who make their games on time. Darn kids. Uh, yeah, now like, you, know, if, uh, you can take away and be like, what is wrong with Simon? It's like nothing. That, that they, You know what they do on time? Pay their royalties. Well, that's good. Oh, hey, that's awesome. Yeah, there, there, I, there are some companies that um, don't. And, and I'm not going to name names. And most of the time, it's just a, it's a small company or a busy company where they're like, sorry, you know, it's like a one man show or one person show or they're, you know, they just don't have someone dedicated and stuff like that. And usually you just go, ahem, and they go, right, sorry. And then you get it the next week. Yeah, that makes sense. Were they one of the bigger um, companies that you worked with? Well, I have worked for Hasbro for 12, 14 years. So that, that's the biggest. Simon is big, but I also... Uh, have stuff with Z-Man, which is owned by Asmodee, which is bigger than Simon. So oh, I've, I've yeah. had the good fortune to. I, I actually have a game with Mattel. Um, oh, so, so you've I've, I've, a lot of and Wizard and Wizards of the Coast, which is part of Hasbro. So yeah, I've I've had the fortune to work with some large companies, which by and large gives you a lot of nice stuff like infrastructure, and they have a dedicated like 
accountant who, you know, for royalties. And then there's some, sometimes downside like Simon where you're like, Hey, you, I haven't got my games and I don't know exactly who to mail. Right. Cause it's like a big network of people. Yeah. And oh, yeah. right. And so I, sometimes you can get caught in a little bit of a web of bureaucracy cause you're not there in house working with them, but um, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. It doesn't, doesn't help that they've got uh, different co- or yeah countries that they have people in as well. Yeah, I mean, you can say, oh, it doesn't help. And like, but this is like the smallest thing because they did an international launch of Death May Die in multiple languages and managed to sell at least 10 times as many games as a smaller company would have been able to. And the other company wouldn't have had miniatures in them. So it wouldn't have stayed in print. No matter how good the game is, it wouldn't have stayed in print as long. Right. Yeah. Right. So if at the end of the day, I got to send like three emails to remind them to send me my samples so that I don't have room in my house. That's a trade I'll make all day long. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and I have one last question about that game. Is Did they approach you on that or did you create it and bring it to them? Uh, Eric and I, Eric was in-house at the time. He's since moved to more of a consultant role. And he, they wanted to work with me and Eric wanted to work with me. And we thought it might be a legacy game. Yeah. And he and I were going to co-design something together, whatever it was. He was in-house and I was outside. And uh, and we kind of kicked around off and on for a couple months, a couple different games to get him started, but none of them really grabbed us. Gotcha. And then he had that idea. He's like, well, there's a Cthulhu game I might work on at house. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do it. He goes, what if you get to shoot Cthulhu in the face? <laughs> and I'm like... You have my attention. <laughs> uh, Riley would would know because of our podcast, but I'm a big component or proponent of shooting people in the face in board games. Okay, good yeah. to know. We're not going to hang out in person, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> he's like the nicest person in real life. But yeah. <laughs> that's what they all say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He was such a nice neighbor, but he did love shooting people in the face in board games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I realize that for me because I just work from home even, you know, when there isn't COVID and I work a lot. And I realize I'm a quiet neighbor, mostly kept to himself. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, like my kids, have, uh, well, I have a son who's a senior in high school and my daughter's a senior in college. And other neighbors either have young kids or no kids. And like, they just like, we just don't see each other in any sort of social capacity. Like we'll wave and I'm friendly and stuff. And I'm like, oh no, I'm that guy. (laughs) We saw him mowing his lawn a couple times. Yeah. Wave. Oh man. I think he has stuff in his shed. (laughs) I don't even have a shed. Although my garage is a big shed. This is very exciting learning about the suburban uh, trials of Rob Davio. (laughs) Yeah. I bet you've never done this before. Uh, no, no, this is new. This is new content. Good. Perfect. Hey, <laughs> if it's interesting, I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> I, it's nice. I don't have like go-to stories. Hey, yeah, at, hey. at least we're recording. That's all that really matters. <laughs> are we? Ouch. We are. We're out. <laughs> oh no, I, I had stopped recording. I got the intro. We're good. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about pandemic legacy how did that first come about uh i was asked really yeah i so i got i I ended up in a career that's a little different from a lot of designers a lot of designers come up with a game and then they shop it around to publishers and part of me is 
very wistful that I don't have that. And sometimes I do have it. And I would like to, over the next couple of years, move more to that model because uh, it takes you off a deadline. But I oh. came out of Hasbro and I had done Risk Legacy. And I was kind of on that path and I was coming up with games and I was selling them. But even though I had been in the industry for 14 years and done Risk Legacy, I didn't have a name in the hobby market. And so while I could get um, meetings with people, I didn't necessarily have a pedigree where they would sort of fast track something or have faith from my pitch that I could make a pretty good prototype into a very good game. So I was trying to make the games better. And then Pandemic Legacy came out in 2015, and suddenly that sort of, um, I was this, well, 18-year overnight success, um, <laughs> which is suddenly all of my body of work and all of my experience was really sort of put on display in that game and had done well. And then I'm in a position where publishers will ask to meet with me at conventions, and often they're like, we have an idea for a game. You know, you get a royalty, but do you think you'd want to work on this? And sometimes it's a legacy game. Or sometimes, like I did for Yellow Mountains of Madness, right? They're like, "Do you would you like to work on something like this?" And sometimes it's not a match, and sometimes I'm like, "Sure," and it's great because I already have a publisher lined up. We can talk right from the beginning about a contract. We can talk about schedule and deadline and and what they like and what they don't like. The downside is now it's usually like they want it in nine to fifteen months, and I'm sort of on the clock. Yeah, and so if I get stuck, it's it's real terrifying. That would be rough. So I've learned to ask for more time and to say no to a few things and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of my career in the past five years has been legacy games for other people's properties, which on the one hand is kind of weird that I keep going, doing I'm like Pitbull. I do like these, <laughs> I just jump into other people's songs and shout for a minute and then leave. Um, yeah, I'm like doing remixes of other people's stuff, which sometimes is like really cool because I'm like, oh, I know this world. I know the graphics. I played the game. Let me do like this little twist on it. And then sometimes I think I just want to do something that's all my own and go off in a different direction. So I try to mix it up. No, that makes sense. Well, that was one of my questions was how do you mix it up for yourself so that it's not like, you know, doing season one and season two and now season zero. I mean, season zero looks really, really different. But yeah, how does that, you know, how do you keep your interest in all of that? Well, if you're doing a different, I do a lot of things. I work on anywhere from eight to 12 games at a time across both companies. Oh, wow. Now those games are in different states. Some of them are wrapping up. Some of them are kicking off. Some of them are with a publisher and I'm reviewing things like season zero. I still consider myself working on because right now like this, I'm doing a little bit of podcasting and talking and and press for it and it won't really be done until probably christmas because then when it comes out i'll be answering questions and checking forums and sort of doing post-launch you know analysis of what worked and what didn't um all of those are different and they're at different places and there are different points and so i have different collaborators and they all feel different so there usually isn't any problem of feeling the same you know uh, you know in that portfolio I'm working at one time. Now, what I do notice a lot is if I'm working on a bunch of games at the same time, if I think of a mechanism in one game, it often moves in some form to two or three other games I'm working on at the time. So, oh, okay. right. So it's like, oh, hey, you know, like we, we, we just did this and Return to Dark Tower and it doesn't quite work over in this other game. But, you know, uh, we spent two weeks trying to figure this out. Why reinvent the wheel? I, I'm allowed to rip myself off. Yeah. And, you know, we'll take... Take the same idea, and then in the new game, it will change enough that it it does you know 
it doesn't really fit. And then something from that game might end up in the next game. So they tend to inform each other. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it's natural, right? It's my blue period or, you know, I'm, you know, trying this sort of thing with drum loops. Uh, um, obviously, I do have a lot of do a lot of analogies of other art forms. <laughs> it helps. And uh, but with Pandemic Legacy, Matt and I knew in the middle of season two that it would be a trilogy because we could tell that we had about three games in us before we would start to resent it or feel burned out or be repeating ourselves or phoning it in or something like that. And we also thought that, you know, you're asking people with a legacy game to play minimum of 36, probably closer to 50 games of a pandemic engine, no matter how different it is. And and we just thought that the audience at that point would be like, okay, you know, you've, you've, you've come, you said your piece, you've left. We're good. So in that case, you know, we knew that that was sort of the end, even at restoration, if we're working on a game, like, downforce and then we did two expansions you can see that the second expansion didn't sell quite as well as the first expansion but also one that's typical and two there was a pandemic so it's hard to judge um, but the game overall is selling well so we say okay what do, what do we do that's different on downforce now that isn't just another track with some powers in it because we did two of those and people seem to have had their fill was season three always gonna be or you can call it season three it, it, yeah it, Season three and pandemic, as we called it season three, the publisher got it and they're like, this is a prequel. It takes place. Can we call it season zero? And I thought we both thought like, well, that's genius. So in this podcast, if I or you say season three and anyone's listening, it means the third pandemic legacy game, which is technically season zero and takes place in 1962, but might be called three because it's the third one in the series. Just to confuse everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love that it's season zero and it makes sense because it's like, yeah, it's happening before everything, but it's still all tied together. It's but was it always going to be a prequel? Like from your first conception of it, did you want to go take it back to the before times? We did Pandemic Legacy. We didn't know it was going to have any sequels whatsoever. I mean, you always hope when you're working on a game, oh, maybe it'll do well and there'll be an expansion. And, you know, you can't really get carried away doing a game that isn't published yet and immediately think of all its sequels. And you've seen movies that do that. They leave some sort of cliffhanger and then no one likes the movie and you never see another one. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, but when we turned it over to the publisher, uh, Z-Man was, with a, was independent then at a different publisher. The, the head of the company really believed in it was looking at the feedback from her team and said, "This we're going to call this season one. Please start working on season two. Man. And I was like, oh, okay, huh. Well, <laughs> and I was still relatively new and I wasn't making ends meet, you know, as out on my own. I'm like, great, I just got another gig. You know, I just one job wrapped up and I just got another job. But it's weird because I got another job knowing I wouldn't get a paycheck for three years, which is usually how it works for me. People oh, from boy. that first talk of, would you like to make a game to a paycheck is two to four years. Jeez. They don't pay you an upfront, like a starting. You can can get an advance. And sometimes I want an advance and sometimes I'm fine not getting an advance. Cause if you get an advance, it's great. And then you spend it. And then it's three years later and you get your first quarter royalty check. And it's like $18 and seven cents because that's above the advance. And you go, Oh, What? So I, I will ask for an advance if it's uh, or a kill fee or something. If it's a game like if um, Hasbro came to me and they're not and they said we want a Monopoly legacy. And I'm like, great. But if that product dies, I can't take it anywhere else. So I would probably ask for either an advance or a kill fee or both. Oh, OK. If, if someone says, will you work on a game based on uh, 
coffee mugs. I'm just talking about what's on my desk. <laughs> like Trump in that interview, well, television, camera, uh, coffee mugs. And I'm like, cool. And there's nothing that they really own. I may not ask for an advance because if the project dies and they don't buy it, I'm like, great, I've just made a game I like. I'll go sell it to someone else. That makes sense. Yeah. And some of our audience are board game designers aspiring. Uh, we have the Board Game Designers Guild of Utah here in Utah, obviously. So it'd be weird if it's in California. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was shocked at where that's located. Wait, it's in Utah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think everyone feels a little different. There are some designers, professional designers, who in, insist on an advance because it is, makes it less likely for the publisher to kill it because they sort of have skin in the game, right? They have that sunk cost that they want to recoup. Yeah. And if a publisher is, if you ask for it and a publisher is unwilling to do it, it might be a red flag either about their solvency or their commitment to the project, which I totally get. Um, but with something like uh, Pandemic Legacy Season Zero, I didn't get in advance because I felt pretty certain that was going to be published. And I just wanted to, you know, get that first check and have it be based on the, on that first quarter, not from when the project started in 2016. Yeah. So Season Zero. Mm -hmm. it's uh, not so much a a pandemic, but it's more kind of like a spy network or a, right? Is, are you more uncovering a mystery? Yeah. So each of the pandemic legacy games, and for those of you who haven't played them, but are aware of them, they, they do have spoilers. So I'm going to talk very elliptically about Perfect. some stuff so that, um, you know, it, part of what makes a legacy game fun is is discovering what's in there. So I, I managed to invent a subgenre of gaming, which made it incredibly difficult to talk about, which is, <laughs> which by and large has been good, but sometimes makes it uh, a little bit of a puzzle. Yeah, it's definitely hard to talk about. It's like talking about a TV show where you're like, well, you know, like, uh, yeah, it starts off. So, <laughs> so, so everything I'll talk about will either be very top level or we have a prologue in all of the pandemic legacy games, which you can play as many times as you want before you start the campaign. and. Um, I will only talk about stuff that you would see in that game or in the rule book. So Pandemic Legacy 1, 2, and 0 all are loosely based on like a, a genre of movie or TV show. And so like one was sort of a summer Avengers type movie or, you know, like just a typical save the world from a disease like outbreak back when that was just fiction. <laughs> and um, season season two was a post-apocalyptic sort of movie not quite mad max but a little bit mad max and a little bit um was it 30 days later i'm saying that right i might be mixing up my yeah i think that uh, was called you know so like what happens if the if the world ended and so this one we we're looking for something new to do and we we're in the middle of developing season two and we said well there's you can't really do post post-apocalyptic <laughs> right where it's just like there's a guy in a hut he's the last human right like that's not a story so we said, well, let's do a prequel. And we were kicking around about, you know, 80s cop movie and, you know, all sorts of, you know, we weren't going to do like angsty early 90s grunge film or something. But we were like, how about a spy thriller? Like, what if there was, you know, and we were like, oh, that'd be cool. So it's not quite a mystery. There is a little bit of mystery and there's a little bit of, you know, what's going on. So it was, and we went back and we decided in the early 60s, there was a lot of, it's when the Bond series started. Oh, yeah. And there were, you know, Three Days of the Condor, and there were a lot of sort of spy thrillers that really set the stage in the early 60s that the Cold War had been established enough that you could do a lot of tropes around it. And we're like, that's it. We'll start there. It's Cold War. 
its spies, its Soviet Union versus versus the U.S. And we will talk about like um, it's you know spies, and you're looking for the 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 terror the bioweapon. We're like cool, and we kind of blocked it out a little, and then went back and finished season two. Took some time off, like six months, and then when we started in uh, 2016, we're like, okay, we've blocked this out a little, and and by and large, we stuck to our outline at a very top level. All the details changed, and we didn't have any of the mechanisms in the game. And we had watched a whole bunch of movies and taken notes, like, oh, do we need an exploding briefcase? Do we need, you know, the phone that rings in a phone booth, and you know, it's like someone trying to contact you? Like we're trying to think of these moments that would anchor you in it. And a lot of them you can't do in a board game, but it sort of got us in the <laughs> right space. That's really, really cool. I didn't think about the kind of movie tie-in, the movie genres, but that totally fits. As soon as you said that second season, I was like, yeah, that was like a Mad Max type thing that was awesome. And yeah, thank very you. different. So, which I'm, my wife and I, we pretty much played season one in two days. We stayed up until 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. But yeah, we would stay up until 5 a.m. just playing and then be like, okay, I think we have to go to bed, right? And she's like, one more game. Okay, let's do it. Which is great because my wife isn't like a huge board gamer. And same thing with season two. So we are both very excited for season zero. After we finished season two, though, we were like left feeling like, wow, what's our next legacy game? What are we going to do? I just feel like I need to tear up some cards. I know, yeah. <laughs> so we pulled out Ticket to Ride and we just started ripping train cards. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so we decided to get Gloomhaven, which I've talked about on the podcast. And uh, and it's a great game, but <laughs> it's uh, very different from a... I mean, it kind of has a legacy type thing to it, but... Uh, yeah, they, I mean, Isaac calls it a legacy game. I think there's some some branching and some elements that are legacy game like but it feels more like inspired by legacy games and more of a campaign game which is probably a distinction without a difference he's doing his version of a legacy game not my version of a legacy game that's a great way to put it yeah so my wife was not into it though and i accidentally stole her kill and almost ruined your marriage that, yeah almost ruined our marriage she had this this the story here is that she had the divorce papers. She wrote on the reason why we're splitting. Stole my kill in Gloomhaven, and then news broke that season zero was coming out. And I was like, "Oh, hey, babe, have you seen this?" And she's like, "Okay." And she ripped up the <laughs> divorce papers. <laughs> well, so thanks for saving my marriage. You're welcome. I <laughs> look forward to the check that you give me. Yeah, <laughs> indirectly, you'll buy the game, and I'll get a little royalty. So thank you. That's that is, that is enough. That is true. <laughs> no, we, uh, I just love it so much. And, and we've played actually, I didn't realize that you did uh, Machi Koro Legacy. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you did that one and we did that at a game night. We bought Betrayal at House on the Hill Legacy just before the pandemic. And yeah. we're going to start playing it with a, some friends. So that's just sitting there. That's, yeah, that doesn't play with two. Nope. <laughs> so we're excited about that one. But that's one that you actually worked on at hasbro before i i worked on the original betrayal game yeah which is an amazing i wasn't the original inventor and designer this is a guy named dr bruce glasgow and he deserves basically most of the credit and it it landed on my desk and it was it was just a little more towards the avalon hill games of the 80s and 90s 
And uh-huh. I spent about a year and a half sort of rebuilding it to be a little bit more mainstream, like removing and combining some systems and, and really sort of getting under the hood and, and rebuilding it in a way that it's probably more than I would have done on a lot of other games, but I really liked it so much and I wanted it to work. And it's not unlike what we do at Restoration, which is this is a fantastic game for Avalon Hill when it was an independent company in 1995, but has Robotit and it's 2000 and it won't get through and it won't fit our audience. So <laughs> let me take your game and make it work for the new audience and the new publisher. Um, and I just fell in love with that game. And it's one of the only games I've worked on, if not the only game I've worked on that I will play. Oh, really? Wow. Or asked to play, certainly. I will play games I've worked on. A lot of them are a legacy game where I'm like, not going to. I'm like, I wrote everything in here and it's 14 games. I'm going to sit down and play. I'll watch people play and get a lot of entertainment of sort of like, oh, yeah, I wrote that in there. That's cool. Yeah, that was a good idea. Good job, Rob of the Past. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but that one I will actually play or suggest playing it because there's so many combinations and things in there that I haven't seen. Even I'm like, oh, 20 years ago, I wrote that. Hey, I'm playing it. So. Yeah, no, it's it's a spectacular game. I'm excited to bust out Betrayal, but the uh, the or the legacy version. You did the legacy version after you left Hasbro, though, right? Yeah, I started that in also 2016. I think I started that about the same time as I started Pandemic Season Zero. Oh, OK. Well, um, it came out a little bit earlier because Season Zero, they had been coming out every other year. So really, it should have come out about a year ago to stay on that pace. But there was just a little bit of production delays where they're like, eh, we'll just do it like in February. (laughs) And then China got shut down with COVID. They're like, well, we'll do it like in April. And then the rest of the world got shut down. And they're like, we'll put it out when it makes sense, because we don't know how a pandemic game is going to go right now. Yeah, I remember seeing that announcement and just being like, oh, this is what I want right now. I know that it's, I know theme wise, it's not great, but I want it. (laughs) It'll make me feel good. No, that's really cool though. So was it kind of nice working with Hasbro again or, or did you, was it pretty much independent? It was Wizards of the Coast. I did consulting for Hasbro uh, right when I uh, left Hasbro. And that sort of just naturally waned as I grew into myth and legend. And like, I think this guy used to work here. (laughs) So like 2012 through 2014 into 15. But I ended up um, doing some work for Wizards of the Coast. Just quite by accident, I had done some little bit of work on the expansion Widow's Walk for Avalon Hill. Mike Selinker, who had also worked on the original game of Wizards, was working. And he brought me in to write a haunt and just, you know, come up with a few cards. I ran into oh, the cool. brand manager for Avalon Hill uh, when I was at a convention talking about that. She was unaware of my involvement with either of the games. And then we started talking about it. And then we were like, we just hit it off. She, and she was like, yeah, we, we should see if we can do something together. And I, I can't remember if she pitched me on Betrayal Legacy or I pitched her. But it was like six months later. And then she sold it in as a concept. And we, you know, we figured out how to make that happen. That's really cool. A lot of just kind of natural networking like anyone does at a convention yeah i uh i basically have learned to put myself out in a lot of different places to get work and make connections and the ones that i almost always get work from are the ones i didn't expect or i get work that i didn't expect Hmm. like i i left uh hasbro and i was a panelist at indicade which is like an independent video game 
convention or it was, I don't know if it's around in Los Angeles in 2012, which led me to meeting someone who works at NYU who invited to me to give a talk at a different convention at NYU in 2013, which impressed him so much that I became an adjunct professor in 2014, which let me get a full-time professorship in 2015 and 2016, because I said yes to be a, a panel moderator at a video game convention. Oh, wow. It's pretty random. That's so cool. So if you work for yourself and you work on your uh, own business, I just recommend saying, don't say like, well, that's not what I do exactly. Like, obviously, I'm not going to go to a convention of people who are doing like pipe welding <laughs> to try to get work because it's just so <laughs> removed uh, that it's going to have no relevance whatsoever. But, you know, a comic book convention, an anime convention, a video game convention, um, go on, go on big podcasts, go on small podcasts, write articles like don't be like, oh, this doesn't fit what I'm doing. Because I just have found that I never know where the next connection is coming from. That's cool of you to, you know, you always be open to that opportunity. So this thought just came to me. Have you ever written a book or, I, or anything I like that? I haven't. I do a lot of writing in my my work, right? I write like all the entries to a lot of these legacy games. And sometimes yeah. it's more technical like rules. And I wanted to be a writer, a comedy writer or a television writer when I was younger. So I'm not afraid of words. I don't have a great passion to write a book because I know how hard it is to make a game and people who don't think it's easy. And I sit here and go, I bet writing a book is easy. You just block out chapters and write words. <laughs> <laughs> Having created things, I know that I would end up writing a very, very bad book and not have the experience or the patience to rewrite it to make it a good book. That's fair. All right. I was just curious because, yeah, you've written all of these essentially short stories and long stories, and they are broken into chapters. And Yeah, and as a writer, I'm, I'm, I can make a very competent, occasionally interesting first draft where I go, good. And then I think other people who are writers or who really look at it are like, it's okay. I'm like, ah, it's good. They're like, <laughs> could be better. I go, but I wrote it. It's done. Right. And that's my warning flags of not uh, becoming a writer. Like I don't read enough and study the craft and putting sentences together. And this is how you do dialogue. And this is how you set a scene. And I use passive voice and I use I have all sorts of bad habits as a writer that works when I'm in a board game or telling a story or just being casual that would fall apart if it was the only thing carrying uh, the medium. Makes sense. <laughs> Side thought. I sorry, took us down a tangent there. I, yeah, it's fun. I actually had that same thought. Oh, good. I wasn't. Al I was like, man, I feel like this is a. That's got to be a common thought. Yeah, I almost asked it earlier in the podcast, but I decided not to. Maybe it's because I'm timid and scared. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. I'm 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 casual, and I, I was a voracious reader when I was younger, and I have like lost the habit, and I'm a little bummed. I spend all day looking at screens, just looking at a book at the end of the day feels like more of the same. Like I'm 50. And so my eyes get more tired when I read it. And also my brain is so used to reading tweets and snippets and articles and things on my phone that after, oh, yeah. th after three pages, I go, I've been reading forever. <laughs> and and I'm like, you know, part of me is like, I'm going to semi-retire and just read all day someday. And I'm like, are you? But I used to read like two books a week until I was 30, at oh, least. Wow. Just nonstop. I'm also more discerning. You read that many books. I will pick up a book now and I'll get like two chapters in and go, this is not, 
this is not very good. <laughs> and when I was a kid, I would just be like, well, I bought it and I'm reading it and I would keep going. Yeah. And, and so I, I've joked that I read at a 50 year old level, which means I have eight half started books on my nightstand. <laughs> nice. So are you going to plan on uh, writing some legacy books where you rip pages out? Nah, <laughs> I don't think so. Those are just choose your own adventures <laughs> with, with some glue. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you ever like during playtesting or when pitching a legacy game? Did you ever hit that wall of like, are people going to be okay ripping up a card? Are people going to be okay putting stickers on this? Yeah, I, it came about in a couple of different ways. I mean, I, you know, I basically wanted to do something where one game affected the next. Right. But I wasn't immediately thinking stickers and ripping and stuff that, that, you know, I get it. But I was thinking, oh man, you know, cause it was going to be for the game clue. I thought people are going to play and then they're going to be kids and they're going to put it away and it's going to be hectic families don't play a lot of games. They're going to come back two months later and they're not going to remember what happened. Like, well, maybe you just write it like on the card. Like you put a little mark, like a checkbox, like this guy is the, you know, hates Colonel Mustard because Colonel Mustard arrested him. (laughs) And I was like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, well, can you? And I would pitch it around the office and people were like, whoa, that's different. And so I'm like, well, let me do this and just run with it and see what happens. And I sort of came up with a concept for uh, like what would be a clue legacy that Hasbro wasn't interested in. And then I rebooted it as Risk like a year later, a little less. And with Risk, Risk is a very macho game. And I mean the word you know macho in terms of I'm taking your stuff and there's trash talk and it's a table flipping game. And it's very much, I took your territory. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to do it here, I'm going to get as in your face and permanent as I can get because it felt the it fit the game. And I'm like, just rip up the card. Like, don't put it in an envelope, just rip it up. And I was like, I can't do that. Everyone's going to balk. And I put it in my prototype and playtesters would play it. And they're like, this is the craziest thing I've ever done. I can't get enough of this. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I kept waiting for the group that was like, this is the dumbest thing. And there would be some people like, I can't rip it up. You rip it up. But it was always like one person. And then people are like, no, you do it, do it. And they do it once. They'd be like, woo. You know, it was like, yeah, they had done like a, a shot of adrenaline. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to just commit to this in every weird way I can think of. You know, adding stuff and taking stuff and hiding stuff and telling you to open this and not to open that. And, and um, I, I, you know, I knew I was probably leaving Hasbro soon because I suspected the company was moving and I wouldn't be able to follow it, which is exactly what happened. I'm like, this might be a chance to just do something really cool for a small group of people before I leave. I didn't think it would be that successful. I thought some game designers and some people would play it and be like, that's cool. And then I think, um, but most people would be like, that's nah, weird. And I was just continue to be shocked 10 years later that uh, how many people found it cool. Yeah. Well, my wife, because I had her rip up the first one. I was like, I can't do it. I, this feels weird. And she like, it was kind of a five minute debate of like, should we just maybe like put it in a Ziploc baggie and then like, you know, later we can pull it back out and try to reset the game. And finally we were like, you know what? Just do it. Just do it. Let's get it over with. And sure enough, when she ripped it, it was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think, you know, there was a lot of things that uh, led to it. But one of which is I was a comic book collector from like age 10 to age 30. And so, you know, I I got them and I bagged them 
and you know, I put them in boxes and they're actually all in my office because I had the delusion I was going to organize them and sell them. And I realized I'm not going to do this during COVID. I don't know how to do this. I need to go to a comic book store. <laughs> and I got to haul them back to the basement. But you know, everything was pristine because it was going to pay for my kid's college. A uh, spoiler, it's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got a few in there that are maybe worth like $50 or a couple hundred that I'll try to get some sort of face value for. Most I just want to go to a good home so other kids or people can read them. Yeah. And I get, but comics were things like, oh, don't fold the crease and don't do that. And I can't read them while it's wet. And I, I had that attitude that a lot of people have during games. And then I was living in New York City right out of college and someone was selling clearly bootleg comics on the streets of New York. Like, hey man, 20 bucks, I'll give you a box of comics. They were beat up and ratty already. I'm like, oh, it's like 50 comics in there. Like, sure. And I got them and I got back to my apartment and I would read it and then I would throw it across the room and I would <laughs> step on it because I was like, finally, comics, I can just... I can just bust loose. I can fold the cover back. I can put a glass on it, right? Because it's already bad. It's already broken. And there was something so visceral about it that I, I never quite forgot it. Huh. It's funny that you talk about comics because both Riley and I uh, like comic books quite a bit as well. So kind of a kind of an interesting, because I feel the same way where I'm like, oh my gosh, like almost all of my comics are bagged and boarded and all that kind of junk. But I, I have the same thing where it's like, I just want to chuck them sometimes. Like, yeah, it's not a yeah. baby. Like, I don't have to actually take care of this. I had a bunny get into my office and chew up the whole bottom row of comic books. And I was like, oh, my gosh, my babies, my babies. But then it kind of felt nice after because reading them, I, I wasn't as careful. It was just like, yeah. I can just read this. I you just read it for entertainment. And I don't sleeve cards when I play a board game. I mean, it's very off brand for me. Um, but I, I don't sleeve them because I just feel like it takes away the enjoyment of the game because you're so focused on not harming the game. And I yeah. also feel, uh, that if I like a game so much that I wear it out, I am very happy to give the publisher more money to, to buy a new copy. Now I make enough of a living and I can a tax write off that I can do that. I realize a lot of people can't. But my opinion is like, oh, man, I played this card game so much that the cards are worn, the kind, cards are kind of like marked, and it's just kind of beat up and we're missing a piece. Like, here's 20 more dollars. Thank you. Like, you've given me so much happiness, I want to give you a little bit more money. Yeah. Um, right. And which, to me, works just as fine because, you know, you're talking to someone and I don't miss the physical interaction for the most part of seeing stuff in front of me. And I've been playing like the hell out of Slay the Spire and other video games and stuff. So I'm gaming in different ways. It's just not the industry that I'm in, which in general, I tend to play more non-board games and board games sometimes because it feels I'm not thinking about manufacturing or art or graphics or why didn't I do that or that's a good mechanism. I kind of sometimes every under normal circumstances, a couple times a year be like, all right, and we get a weekend and we play like 20 new games. Right. And we just sort of like, ah, okay, big board game weekend. And then I won't play, you know, that much for a month or so. So now that you've brought up Slay the Spire, what other uh, board game or uh, video games are you into? You know, I've been really hooked on that one pretty much for all of Pandemic. I'm closing in on a thousand hours. Oh, oh gosh. Whoa. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that game. That game was great. I didn't play that much though, but. <laughs> and I don't think it's that I, it's, the best game and i wouldn't like other ones it's that at this point it's just like a comforting i know it yeah right it's soothing it's it's turning on 
CSI in its 18th season. And you're like, yeah, there's other TV shows, but I just want, you know, I just like this one. Well, and it not it, it's pretty quick too, and relatively simple where I'm the same way where, I don't know, it, because I'm a big RPG gamer for, you know, Final Fantasies, like all that kind of just JRPGs and stuff like that. And so it's nice to have a game where it's just quick. And it's like, mm-hmm. I can just close the screen and be done. You know what I mean? Anytime. Yeah. And, and the thing that I actually, the games I haven't, don't really play much anymore. And I used to be fine with them. I used to be good with, at them. Anything that requires real time, like any sort of controller, I, I just, I don't do it. I'm 50 years old. I don't have the skills. I bought Spider-Man for the PlayStation like a year and a half ago. And my son, who was 16 at the time, I'm like, oh, I heard this, you know, you can put on easy mode and the combat's pretty intuitive. And I love comics. And I love Spider-Man. And I would play and muggers would kick the ever-loving crap out of me. <laughs> right. And and I'd be like, what do you do? And then my son would playing and he was putting on the hardest level and just having a great time. And I was having a great time watching him. And I'm like, all right, well, like, give it back to me. Let me try. I'm going to explore around and do like the collect the backpacks and, you know, just these pickup scenarios and stuff. And I get into a fight and he's like, X, X. And I'm like, which one is X? And I'd like, look at my hand and I die. He's like, what do you don't know? And I'm like, honestly, if you tell me first, like home plate first, second or third base, I'm going to be a lot faster. And he's like, right bumper. I'm like, is that the, but it's like, no, that's the trigger. Like, (laughs) and again, it's not that I couldn't learn this stuff. It's just most video games now assume that you've got a couple thousand hours of muscle memory in these things. So even when they set it on easy, it's not that easy for me. So I need something that's more of a card game, more of a turn-based system, something where I can just sort of treat it like a board game on a, on a computer rather than a, a real a Twitch thing. There's another game called, um, what's it called? Beyond Dark Castle, which came out on the Mac in 1988. And I played it in my dorm room. And I saw that they had it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy it. And you get three lives because it was an 80s game, right? And you know, after three lives, you're, you're dead. And you have to clear all these rooms in a castle. And it's a little bit of duck, jump, climb a rope, throw a rock at a bat. And, you know, there's sometimes there's a little bit of a puzzle like, oh, I got to get the shovel and hit that guy so I can pull the lever so that this will come down. So the staircase. I used to be able to beat the whole thing at 18 years old, sometimes without losing a life. I can't make it through a room now. And I'm like, I think I'm just done. So, so if you have any games that are uh, fit my requirements, I'm happy to hear them. That's kind of Danny's jam, right? You do a lot of like turn-based RPGs and stuff. Yeah, um, one that's quick is uh, Cosmic Star Heroine. It's not super long, but it's pretty reminiscent of uh, like Chrono Trigger. Uh, Really, really good game. Very intuitive, um, and just an impressive game. I'm trying to think other ones that would be in that same vein. I don't know. I'll have Riley email you. All right. Yeah. Just shoot an email. We don't need to brainstorm in real time, but it's funny. You said this game, which is reminiscent of that game. Like, well, I haven't heard that game. Right. So you can just keep going back <laughs> quite a bit. And you're like, have you the played Pong? Triggers reminiscent of. <laughs> right, and eventually I'll go, are we at Pong? Because if we can get back to Pong or some Commodore 64 games, then you're in my wheelhouse. <laughs> Not to make you feel old, but you said 1988 and playing in your dorm. And I was like, oh, yeah, the year I was born. Cool. Yeah, that's fine. There's there's two guys who work for me who were born in 1988. I'm over it. Um, <laughs> it was weird when it happened. And I still find it weird that I'm 50. And when I think of the 70s, I go, oh, that, that was a long time ago. 
it just sort of happens. Like you're just going about your life and things are happening and the days add up to months and years. And then you get to a certain point, like a milestone birthday. And it, it sort of sideswipes you. Like, I certainly don't feel like a kid. And if I see like 20 year olds, I'm like, I don't act like that. Right. And I don't have an interest, but I feel like I'm 30 with a 50 year olds experience, but I know I'm not. And, you know, I like, you know, like some of the stuff I do at work is, you know, hire younger people who are good and train them. And then I just ask them, can you do this? And they do it. And I don't have to do it anymore, which makes me feel incredibly conflicted that I'm not doing it because I always used to. And then also incredibly proud that like, I can communicate in my head some of the things that have worked for me and, you know, have other people, you know, do it their own way. That is really cool. I mean, I... It's nice just chatting with you. I mean, you you seem real casual, and I don't feel like I'm talking to like a grandpa or anything. So, nah, I'm not a grandpa. <laughs> yeah, I'm 50 in number, and I, I, you know, I, I look younger, and I kind of think that I'm younger. And I sometimes will to say 50, and I go, "That's not right. You meant to say 40." <laughs> and um, and then and it 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 just kind of shocks me. And and the funny thing is, I think sometimes it only hits me as I'm half asleep. And also, it's like you're 50 and your kids are adults, and I like wake up and go, "Ah, how'd that happen?" <laughs> but I don't think that's uncommon. I think it's just the brain processing. Yeah. Do you hate being painted into like the legacy corner? Are you like, I do other things, guys? Uh, I don't mind. I mean, because I do do other things, including like, I think these days there's a number of people who may only know me or think of me for restoration games. Oh, that's very uh, true, huh? Um. And then I had a 14-year at ha- career at Hasbro before that started, where I'm like, uh, let's see, if you were born in 88, I-, I probably made games you were playing growing up. Did you play oh, Heroescape? Yeah. Heroesca- yeah, dude, Heroescape's awesome. Yeah, I was one of the people who worked on Heroescape. That's so cool. You're not cool, uh, Riley, because you probably don't even know what that is. Uh- no, I know what Heroescape is. <laughs> I just wasn't cool enough to get to play it. <laughs> it's because your parents were poor. Just kidding. Oh, <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> I'm actually coughing in the social awkwardness. Um, yeah, I've had to, I've had a, a, a wide ranging career. And as I've said to some people, I'd rather be known for one thing and be really proud of it than not known for anything. And so oh, it's yeah. easy to get frustrated that you can get uh, as any person who has success, like whether it's an actor in a career, you know, or a one hit wonder. And they're like, but I did other things. It's like, yeah, but you did one great thing that people remember or one yeah. thing that was so recognizable and interesting that people want to talk about that. And that's like, great. Cause you might've tried to do a hundred things and one or two of them people remember that's one or two more than a lot of people get. It's true. So, yeah. That's a really great way to look at it. I, I know some, I especially when you refer to actors, they're just like, yeah, I know. I was this person. Like, Har- like Harry on. Potter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> poor Harry Potter. Nobody looks at him as anything but Harry Potter. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to get out of that. It really is. Like, especially with an actor, when you see their, their face, like I could just come up with a pseudonym and make a whole different range of games. Um, but it, But an actor is definitely like... A, t- a tough place in that sense but you know it's very yeah. few people who can like a tom cruise who can stay from i first saw him in 1982 or 83 and then he's making movies now like that's just hard to do yeah, yeah. you know and and it's a hard standard to hold yourself to um so i'm making a living making games uh i've had that one big idea that i always wanted to have that was sort of revolutionary and i've made a number of games 
for kids or adults. I've, I've, one of the things I used to tell new people at Hasbro or interns is, you know, and it's Christian centric when I say this is like, you are responsible for Christmas day. There's going to be stuff under a tree that gets opened up. And then that afternoon, the kids and their family are going to play it. And then they're going to get older and they're going to have memories of playing it with their parents. So do a good job. Oh, that's a tender thought. (laughs) I like that. And so I think about that, you know, I can, you can get burned down when you're working on a game, like, oh, it's good enough and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, this might be the game someone plays with their parent or their wife or their kid that just really clicks with them. So step back, you're burnt out now, take a day off, then get back and do the best job you can. And they don't always work, but that's my approach. Yeah. Do your, uh, do your kids like board games quite a bit? My daughter likes them more but not a lot. Like when she visits and comes home, she'll say, oh, we should play a board game. And so when she was living here and when she visits, we tend to play more as a family. My son is a musician, a budding songwriter, producer, and he plays some video games, but he's not a big gamer. And I I get it. Like, you don't want to have to do your parents' job or their hobbies. Oh, yeah. And so, um, (laughs) and, and so I've always said to them, you know, you, you know, if you want to play, I'll play, but I don't want you to do my thing. Cause I liked it. My dad liked to fish and I didn't like to fish. And I ended up in a lot of fishing boats, you know, cause he wanted me to like fishing, but he didn't sort of give up at the point where I'm like, I really, I, we've tried, this is not my thing. And, and so I've kind of just let it go now at the beginning of, uh, COVID, uh, when we were all quarantined, I said, look, can we just play a game or two of Betrayal Legacy? Because this is a game that if you play it and you play through all 13 chapters, technically 14. You, you have a replayable game that's unique to you. And I, I can't, I could just speed run it, but I kind of want to play it. So the stuff means stuff. And my daughter's like, maybe. And my oh. son's like, yeah, my son's like, I don't know. I'm like, look, we have no place else to go. <laughs> <laughs> I said, just play like two games after dinner. And then if we like it, we'll play two more after dinner tomorrow. And then maybe that'll be enough where either you like it or I can finish it on my own from there. And they loved it. We know we played two or three games every night, blew through the campaign and then played a whole bunch of the free play stuff after until we were like, okay, we've been playing two or three games every night for a month now. Maybe we should stop. And so I got what I wanted. It was like really nice because it's a game I'm very proud of. I got to play with my kids. It was sort of very dark days in terms of, you know, wiping down everything that came into your house. And then there was this little moment of, of I don't want to call a horror game with murder sunshine, but <laughs> we'll call it sunshine. No, that makes sense. It sounds like, I very memorable moments. I mean, that's kind of what Pandemic Legacy, both one and two, were for my wife and I. We, you know, staying up so late playing it and just having so much fun. Uh, it's just like a tender memory to us. Well, that, thank you. Yeah. So thank no, thank you for creating that for us. <laughs> just well, for us. I know you had us in mind. <laughs> well, I did, but I had to sell it to some other people just to justify it. But thank you for understanding. Yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> no, I, I thank you for completing the loop, I guess is what I want to say, because I work on stuff that goes out into the void and you can read things and look at reviews and look at royalty checks and know it's connecting. But um, much like being a book author, the the connection loop between creating work and getting feedback from the, you know, the person who consumed, I hate to say consumed, but, you know, yeah. enjoyed your work um, is often years and and only one in, you know, 50,000 people have the chance to talk to me about it directly. So it still always feels sort of like very fresh and very nice. So that's what I was thanking you for. Oh, you're welcome, Ben. In that case, (laughs) 
a hearty you're welcome um so do you have a white whale project that always eludes you does that make sense i always said oh i want to make uh, a really great dungeon crawl that fits for me and then some pointed out like well bloomhaven already uh kind of did that and you did do betray legacy which is a dungeon crawl you're just not thinking of it in the right way and i went oh yeah okay i already did that <laughs> that's fair all right that's your type of jam right danny you're you're all about the dungeon crawl games oh yeah if it's got miniatures that i can paint i am sold that's, that's true that's why i was so sad with cthulhu death may die there were some cool models in that game but that game no longer exists to me so <laughs> <laughs> what what game is this i don't know yeah, never heard of it it's true <laughs> <laughs> i actually am learning to paint and i'm using uh season one pandemic stuff to practice okay so i just thought that was kind of a funny thing so right now i keep yeah. sending him pictures right now he's uh actually making your game look worse so yes <laughs> no, <laughs> way, he's, way he's, he's making my game into his game that's all that matters oh there we go <laughs> he's a lot nicer than uh, i am riley thank goodness, <laughs> thank goodness we've known each other for like 20 years yeah or else i'd get my feelings hurt yeah if you did if you didn't know that i was a butt before you do know <laughs> ages made me a little bit uh mellow in a good way like i wanted to be a comedy writer I was a snarky man in my 20s. Everything was a joke. Everything was cutting. Everything was trying to one-up people, be the funniest person in the room. And then, uh, you know, eventually I'm like, this, is, this doesn't age well if it ever worked well at all. So. <laughs> I feel like if you are that way when you're older, I mean, if you were like 70 and you were doing that, it would probably be taken like, oh, he's so crotchety. Yeah, it goes to crotchety. Yeah, yeah, it goes from like, snarky to dickish to grumpy to crotchety like it, it, yeah. it, when when you're younger it's endearing and then it just goes through that cycle like everybody's like i don't oh. know if it was endearing at the time I mean, when you're working, <laughs> if you're working in a place like i was in advertising and i was in television and there's like writers and you're trying to find the best line you're trying to find the best words so you're constantly like pushing on what ideas and language and jokes and stuff can do to try to find the best thing it, it there's at least a purpose for it you're either honing it yourself or trying to drive for something when you're like a 50 year old game designer and you're just giving you know people a hard time it, it sometimes it's a bad look i still can do it i like work out and i've been doing this sort of shadow boxing workout and someone who clearly doesn't work out was sort of giving me a hard time in a friend group like well what music do you listen to you listen to rocky i'm like no i just i have a video program i watch like you know listen to music you don't put your headband on you know like rock out and do like eye of the tiger and stuff like that i'm like no and he's like come on man what i go what music do you listen to when you work out knowing that he never works out <laughs> and the entire zoom call went oh no <laughs> So I know it's still in there and I let it out sometimes, but instead of like laughing at my own cleverness, I'm like, Oh, I feel bad. Oh, <laughs> that was pretty funny though. Now I have to go home and tell my wife I was rude to someone at work. <laughs> <laughs> she probably overheard it. Oh yeah. Cause uh, she works with you. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a work call. It wasn't, a work it wasn't call. her. Was it you? That would go. Oh, gosh. Ooh, come no. on. Come on. <laughs> that would be, he'd be dead. We wouldn't be, be talking. Terrible. About I'm actually like one thing that, um, 
I'm a huge fan of because we've we've talked to a couple other people as well. Is just how many wives are so supportive of their husbands' work in board games, like because you hear horror stories where it's like, oh, you have to give up all your friends and all your video games and anything you like. But it's it's so nice and such a, a breath of fresh air to hear you say that your wife is so supportive. Oh, she loves games. If you play a game with her, she'll crush you. <laughs> <laughs> we met at Hasbro. Oh, did you? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I, she's my, my second wife. I had kids with my first wife, and, and then I got a divorce, and then she started working at Hasbro, and we were like hanging out, and then we're like, uh-oh, we work together. Oh, no. Right? This gets weird. But then we started dating, and, it, and it's just been it's just been great. Like, no, she's a gamer. That's awesome. And um, right when my sort of pandemic legacy came out and Seafall came out, and I, I, I felt like I had enough of a steady royalty stream to at least cover a year. I she was working at Yankee Candle, like as a graphic designer doing candle scents and labels and oh. packaging and stuff. And she didn't dislike it, but she missed games. I'm like, let's just work together for a year. And it was right about when um restoration was starting up. And I'm like, oh, and maybe you can work for this new thing that I'm trying to put together restoration. I mean, she knew of it. It's not like I had to explain it. Like <laughs> yeah. maybe you can maybe you can work for restoration. And then like it's just worked out where we've just started working together now for uh uh, four four years almost. Again, that's really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, we we got a good rhythm. Like we have separate zones, so we can be in different meetings, and sometimes we're in the same table on a meeting, and we work on different parts of the of the games that we work on completely. So she'll give feedback on design and play testing, and I value it. Um, but mostly it's my call, and I'll give feedback on you know graphics and things, but it's mostly her call, and we figured it out. That's cool. You know your guys's boundaries and have it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. Well, I've got kind of two more questions I'd like to, two more things to go over, if that's okay. Are yeah. you good or? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Okay, cool. Just want to check. We haven't bored you to death, right? No, this is all different conversations. Hey, Riley, how, are you still recording? <laughs> no, I stopped oh. like an hour ago, man. <laughs> We've just been kicking it now. Oh, that, that was a that was a good callback because you said it once and then let it go for like another forty minutes and then send it again. So that was like that was a perfect little three part joke structure there. <laughs> He's good at those. He yeah, and they usually sting a little bit or a lot of it. I'll cry myself to sleep. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you could make a legacy game based on like any other IP. What would it be? I mean, like NCIS, the legacy, you know, like it could be a TV show, a like, movie, a comic book. Yeah, anything. Yeah, it's funny. I, I get questions like this asked all the, this particular question and ones that are adjacent to it all the time. Okay. And nothing makes my mind go blank faster than what's your favorite or if you could do anything, what is your top? Because um, oh, I, oh, I go, I uh, go, well, I don't know. But the general idea is um, I, I have worked on a number of legacy games that I want to work on. Um, and there's some I might be working on that I can't talk about. And there's some I might try to work on, but honestly, nothing comes to mind. I'm trying to do a little bit fewer legacy games in the next couple of years. I'm still doing a couple. I just, to keep things moving, you know, you want to leave the dance floor before the lights come on. Yeah. I want to be asked like, uh, sir, no one's doing those anymore. I'm <laughs> like, but I got three more coming out. They're like, mm, sorry. I like a game that starts out relatively simple. Like pandemic is not that complicated if you're a gamer. Yeah. And then so you can give it room to grow without it being overwhelming. And I like a world that has that can tell a good story. It can have characters, it can have 
an interesting world, whether it's funny or whether it's serious. It's a place where people want to spend six to 14 games moving around and feel like they were involved. Because personally for me, I, I wouldn't want to make and would have a difficult time playing a game that would just be mechanics changing. Right. I want to know at the end of the game, like what's going to happen to the kitten in the tree. Right? Yeah. And uh, to spoil where the kitten gets saved, but um, no one's that, <laughs> no one's that much of a monster, but um, I want to be surprised narratively. I, again, I wanted to be a television writer. I read a lot of comics. I played a lot of D and D having a narrative arc is important to me. And really I've just taken my love of role-playing games and, and shoved it into my career. Well, this is a side thing. This doesn't count as my second thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, do you usually DM or do you play a character? I, in general, often have been the DM. And I think that's what made me a game designer is you're constantly thinking of, yeah, just, you know, roll. What if we say if you roll above 14 three times in a row, then this, like you're, you're doing these little micro, you know, game designs, you know, yeah. especially when I was 12. Um, lately, because I'm spending so much time on all these work projects, I don't have time to DM. And I just started a new campaign last night with someone I was, where I was a player. And it was wonderful because he could... I could see what he was doing. He was managing this and handling this and making this a little easier. And this, I'm like, yep, yep, you're doing everything that I would be doing, but I don't have to. And then I can sort of not be a second DM, but I can try to be a very good player of, you know, paying attention, moving the plot forward, giving, making the world interesting or doing something unexpected with my character, but knowing it doesn't derail the entire plot. Like I murder the king. Like that's just, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. That's not that's not clever. That's you know something, but you're destroying somebody's work. Essentially. Yeah, you're just derailing something to try to steal focus and put it on you. Yeah, right. But if it's like I'm going to bribe the king's advisor to get more information because I don't believe the king, so then the DM is like, oh, that, I didn't see that coming. But you know, I could bribe him, and he could say, you don't learn anything. Yeah, but I gave the DM an opening to be like. Oh, okay. That's clever. I'm going to add to this or change the story. Yeah. I'm, I just made a character yesterday. I haven't played for 15 years. So I, th- I think fifth edition, it is very D and think there's role playing games that do many things better and many things different. And I've been doing a lot of pickup games with friends on Sundays, these three hour one-offs, but D and D is, um, fifth edition is very good at being D and D. Nice. Yeah. I think I played third edition. That was the last time I played, so. Yeah, I don't, fourth edition I bounced off because it was more of a miniatures game with light role playing. Yeah, that's kind of. Um, which, which wasn't for me, I'm more of a story and I think, uh, and, and third edition could get a little bloated with all its rules trappings and I think fifth edition combined a bunch of stuff to make it, you know, not the best role playing experience for everyone, but like a really good place for most people to scratch that itch. Is there one that you would recommend for a, for noobs, newbies at it? For a role-playing game? Yeah. Uh, not for, I would pick D&D. It's like pick the industry standard. There's oh, enough okay. people who know it. Um, if you are playing something, uh, uh, let's see, what was it called? Ironsworn was a role-playing game I was playing earlier in the summer, which you actually don't need a DM. You can solo play, you can cooperative play, or the DM can play. It's sort of oh. a self-generating thing. It paints a darker story. It's it's a darker world, and the the it's like combat is grittier. It paints a very realistic version of like a dark ages medieval Viking esque sort of world. 
which fascinated me. I mean, it made some rich scenarios, but they're all a little depressing for 2020. <laughs> so I was going to run a whole campaign. And after three sessions, I'm like, yeah, I think we'll just stop there. That's a good, that's a good stopping point. And the other two people are like, where do I go? It's just getting me down. That makes so, sense. Yeah. To be continued till a brighter year. Yeah. I think like we could be in person and it's a brighter year and like, we're just, you know, having a drink or something. I think this would, this would be a better place. Cause it was just a little, uh, but man, like the two characters were brothers and they were like teens and they got in their first combat and they almost died. And it, between the two of them, they sort of killed a guard who was going to take him in and had to bury his body in the swamp. Oh, whoa. And I got to tell you, like in D&D, it's like, haha, I reduced the hit points to zero. I win. And this was more of just everything's gone wrong and you are barely like surviving. And then you're like, what do we do with this body? And we're kids. And it was a guard. And it's real. I was like, wow, this is a oh, real man. moment. This is this is what would happen. And they're freaking out. I'm like, I just want to reduce something to zero hit points right now in 2020. Right. I just want. And then they go <laughs> poof and their body disappears and it. It explodes into coins and experience points. Just like it should. Oh, man. Yeah, that does sound a little too heavy right now. I, I think as a one-off, it would be great. I think as a campaign, it got to be much. Like, you could literally sit down. I would give it a try. The world building, where you just kind of talk about the world or think, answer a couple questions and spec it out is great. If you want to do world building, you can make a character. And then if you just ran, like, a one or two-part, two-hour session or something like that, I think... You, you could learn a lot about what a role-playing game can do. Um, if you're hooked, you can keep going, but I think you're not going to have a happy-go-lucky story. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we usually close out the show by playing a game called Ridiculous Theme, where we come up with a ridiculous theme for a game, or yeah, usually it's a game. Every once in a while, mm -hmm. it'll be something else. Is, do you want to do that with us? Yes, yeah, sorry. I was drinking some water. Oh, you're, you're good. <laughs> I took it as extreme hesitation and then I felt forced into it. So <laughs> no, just drinking water. <laughs> um, yeah. So it can be anything. I mean, I don't know if you th tried to think of anything. I did email you about the game. I think beforehand. Uh, let's pretend that I didn't read that just Perfect. for, just to keep the conceit going that I'm busy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so we've had games like Ikea, the board game where you have to shop through Ikea. Yeah. Is, yeah. I, I, serious, I did read the email. I thought you were going to pitch me a theme and I was oh, going to yeah. have, and I thought I was going to have to spontaneously pitch a game based on that theme, knowing that I'd never heard it before. So I oh. was like, I thought it was going to be like, okay, we've got a wacky theme. Can you make a game out of X? Oh, that's a good idea too, though. <laughs> oh, you know what? I do have a theme though. All right, go ahead. Let's see. If, let's see if I got it. Okay, because yesterday I got eaten alive by mosquitoes, and I wanted to make a game sound kind of hardcore, like Bound by Blood, the mosquito game. What by blood? Bound by blood. Like okay, okay. Uh, I, I. So you want me to make a game pitch for Bound by Blood, the mosquito game? If you want, I mean, or you yeah, can come yeah, up no, with No, that's good, own, that's so. good. Hold on, no, no, okay, I'm, I'm working right. on it. I need five <laughs> seconds. That was a, that was filler talk as my brain work. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, so, okay, I'm going to talk about this game. It's called Bound by Blood Mosquito Game. I've already trademarked it. It's registered trademark. It's pending. Um, and uh, in this, every person plays a mosquito. 
you are a female mosquito because mis- females are the only ones who uh, drink blood because they need it for their eggs. And you also have an assortment of the big floppy, dopey male mosquitoes uh, who can go out and eat fruit. But they mostly just act to distract the other players. It's a competitive game. The humans are the NPCs, and each one of them has a bloat factor, uh, you know, which basically will tell you how much blood you can get out of them. And it, it is a press-your-luck game. When you go to a human, uh, you take a number of cards equal to their bloat factor, and then there's three cards that you put in called slap. So you shuffle those together, and you, <laughs> and you flip over the top card, and that will give you blood. Uh, you can continue to draw a card, or you can walk away, but it's often hard to find another human who would do it so you can keep going but if you get a slap card uh you basically will either lose the game unless you can discard a, a male mosquito uh which you may not have because they will prevent other players from reaching their humans by acting as a mate or a distraction um uh, but if you do get away you go back and you fertilize your eggs and the first player to uh, harvest all 10,000 of your children from the swamp bed win the game Oh my goodness. That was amazing. Yeah, there are some event cards like drought where the water goes down and then you would need to do more eggs and then there's, you know, a heavy rain which will help all players depending on where you put your nest and stuff. But I didn't really want to get into that cuz it might be in the first expansion. <laughs> you you oddly know a lot about mosquitoes. I, I was the editor in chief on Trivial Pursuit for ten years. The amount of stuff in my head is ridiculous. <laughs> None of it is useful except for now. So it's funny when people go, "Wow, that actually sounds like a good game." I can tell you, ideas are so easy. That is an awful game, and if I made it, <laughs> it would be an awful game. And if I spent a lot of time, it might lead to a good game. Oh my um, But it would take a lot of work. So people are like, "I got an idea, and I think I know how the game's going to play." That is awesome, but write it down and play it and see how bad it is. Get upset that it didn't work on the first try and then either walk away from it or fix it. Um, but the number of people who are going to get a game right in their head on the first try are uh, Vlada, right? Like just, uh, you, you know, did, did that with um, code names. Oh, yeah, yeah. It took him an hour. I read that the other day and I was like, oh, my gosh. I asked him like at the a best di- party game. Yeah, I asked him at a dinner once uh, at a convention, and um, he said it took him an hour, and he knew what it sounded like. He said, but I'd played a lot of party games, so it was like 30 years of experience to make it an hour. And I didn't believe it could be that easy, so I spent six to nine months trying other versions. Oh, my gosh. Before deciding that my first idea was the best. Wow. It's actually a pretty cool success story. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To strike gold there. Yeah, he's like, I, I knew what to do. I had 30 years of experience to allow me to get to a good idea quicker and also 15 years of industry experience to make sure that I pressure tested it and didn't get lazy. Man. Do you want to know what I think would be a great legacy game? Would be oh, yeah. dating the legacy game. Uh, I did a Game of Life card game, which had a, a feel for that. It wasn't a legacy game. I think that that would just, it could have some funny twists and turns that you weren't expecting. Yeah, it, it is yours to absolutely design. <laughs> All right, done. <laughs> we'll pass it off to Dusty. Yeah. His, his brother's a designer. <laughs> okay. You've actually, you probably don't remember, but you've actually met him oh, yeah. once before at a convention. Yeah, which was nice because I was really nervous. I was like, oh gosh, we have a big guy coming. This is definitely our biggest guest. So and he was like, no, he's really cool. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, no, we're just, I mean, what I do and what 
people who own small game companies do and what people who want to be in a game company do is, is pretty much the same job. And we all do it a little differently. I had the good fortune 22 years ago to get a job at Hasbro where I could learn my craft in a corporation with a steady paycheck, which yeah. gave me the experience and to, to shoot out on my own at age 42, you know, with 14 years of experience and knowledge that, and so I consider myself very fortunate, but you know, I, I make the same mistakes everyone else does. I'm, all my early designs are bad. I, I'm a little better spotting the problems early or often digging myself out of a hole faster. But I just don't get as despondent when something doesn't work as I say, yeah, I fixed them before. I'll fix it here. Or I won't. And I'll just do something else. Um, <laughs> whereas I used to be like, why can't I make this work? And I'm like, because well, it's, it's just not done yet. So it's all basically the same job. And whenever I go to a game convention or an unpub and I meet someone who's not designing their first game, often I'll learn as much from them as they learn from me because they're, they're new and they have these fresh ideas. They're not like, that's not how, you know, I'm like, that's not how it's done. And then they talk about, it, I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I really like how you did that. So, yeah, that's what I, one of the things I love about game design and I'm super duper new at it, but it's, it's just fun. Cause it's like problem solving. That's, that's the entire job is just problem solving an idea into something that functions. Yeah. It, it basically, I describe my job is think of an idea, then mess it up, create a bunch of problems, figure out what they are, and then try to fix them. Because yeah. honestly, if you don't actually think of the idea in the first place, you don't have any problems. So you are just making your own mess and then cleaning it up and feeling proud of yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming digitally. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Don't know why that felt so weird to me after I said it. Uh, I feel like I could do a whole nother hour just asking you advice on designing, but on game design. But we're going to let you go. Yeah, it's also 543 on a Friday. Oh, so yeah. I, I have been in meetings since uh, literally 9 a.m. with a 15 minute break for lunch. Oh, boy. Jeez. I mean, some of them are playtesting. And one of them was like playtesting slash playing games with a friend. So, but it, it's it's just been me at this desk talking all day. Um, so I'm I'm fading, or I'm about to get really entertaining. It's one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not risk it then. Yeah, uh, we'll be nice to you. Thanks so much for coming, though. Uh, it was a lot of fun to learn a lot about it. We learned a lot about you, and to learn about oh, oh my goodness, I'm fading. You got this. Land it. Land it. <laughs> Land it. Oh. Uh, so is there anything you want to plug, though? Oh, we didn't even really talk about Pandemic Legacy uh, Season Zero. That's what I came on for. Yes, that's out October 23rd. Uh, it's, the, it's the end of the trilogy. It's a Cold War game we talked about. It's a spy thriller. Uh, the, review, the early reviews have been really kind of glowing. I'm almost a little embarrassed about them because I'm from New England. <laughs> uh, so if, you're, if you played the other ones, uh, you know, please pick this one up. If you haven't played any of them yet, you can start with this one or you can start with season one, uh, but it is the last game and it, and it rounds out the story. Uh, if you don't remember what story and world there is in there, uh, you know, take a moment to try to remember. Perfect. And then do you want to plug your Twitter or oh, your yeah. website or anything? Yeah. Thank goodness you're here. I'm, I'm getting tired uh, on, on, uh, on Twitter. You can find me at Rob Davia, which is R O B D is in David, a B is in Victor, I A U. Welcome to all the vowels. Uh, you can also go to restorationgames.com. 
Uh, I do have a website, robdavio.com, but I looked the other day and it's like three years out of date. I'm like, oh no. Um, so if you want to know what I was up to back in 2018 or 2017, that's a good place to check. But hopefully I'll update it soon. Nice. I follow you on Twitter and enjoy it. You've been walking people through your kind of work week lately. I did last week, not this one that just ended, but the one before I kind of did a, I walked people through my work week um, to let them know what it's like to be, to do this full time as a job. Yeah. Uh, this week I was a lot less productive because I wasn't like, oh no, I have to tell people I'm doing something productive. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'll probably do that again at some point. Uh, mostly I talk about food uh occasionally i'm in massachusetts i gotta warn people right from i'm gonna vent some left-wing politics sometimes but i try to be rather tactful about it and you know as we head up to the election i may i may do it a little bit more but i'm trying not to yeah i enjoy following you on there lots well, of thank you stuff, very much though. trying to do quality over quantity yeah that, i mean you're hitting it so all right thanks killing it so you can follow us at nerd out with us on twitter we're also on facebook same thing or look for the nerding out podcast uh you can see danny's paintings at death night painting on facebook if you enjoyed this episode subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to us from and share us with your friends until next time keep nerding out